really feel like the Lord prompted me to kind of dig in on where Pastor Chuck kind of left off last week. Um, he mentioned, we, we were talking about generational consequences. Was that anybody here last week? Okay, remember that. And part of that he mentioned getting help. So I want to kind of dig in on some of that. And, and I really, my prayer is that this would be helpful to you. Because we can have a pep rally, but unless you walk away with something that's helpful to your life. So that's my prayer, and I, and I hope the Holy Spirit uh, speaks through me and to you, and it goes in deeply. Last week, uh, the, the text was Exodus 34, 7. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We all inherit stuff from the generation before. It all impacts our lives. We, we pass these things along to the next generation unless we can identify them and break the cycles. So I want to talk about breaking the cycles today. And it just happens. I mean, we, we simply duplicate what we see, the homes we grew up in, the models we had. The models we had were the only models we had. It makes sense to make a copy of that. It's all we know. But just because your parents had an anger problem and yelled at you and belittled you doesn't mean you that type of behavior is okay or healthy. It also doesn't mean you have to yell and scream and belittle your own kids. Just because your father left you and your mother and he was absent for a large part of your life doesn't mean you have to leave your kids with a root of rejection. So here's what happens. The dysfunction passes to the third and fourth generations. The, the iniquities to the third and fourth generation. Dysfunction, iniquity, whatever you want to call it. It's the same stuff. Brokenness goes to the third and fourth generation. Blessings to the thousands, but iniquity to the third and fourth. Because here's what happens. Somewhere along the third or fourth generation, somebody wakes up and goes, No! I refuse to repeat that cycle. It ends here. I break it in the name of Jesus, and I refuse to pass that dysfunction along to my kids like it's a family pet. It doesn't have to be just, well, you know the Briggs. That's just how we are. No, absolutely not. Gwen and I have flat out told our sons that our goal is to get them to adulthood with as little need for counseling as possible. Look, look, they're going to need some, but we're trying to minimize the effect of the brokenness. So here's the reality. We are all broken. We are all broken and we're born into sin. Sometimes we hear words like that, sin, and it rubs us a little bit. It makes us uncomfortable. Look, sin is a, it's a simple term used in archery. And imagine, it just, it just means to miss. That's all that word means, is to miss. So God has laid out this way to live. He's created parameters by which to navigate life. He's, he's given us guidelines. He's given us commandments to keep us moving in the right direction. So sin can be immoral and ugly and hurtful to ourselves, to those around us. Sure it can, but, but it can be as innocent as this. Jesus says, don't worry. 
It's not his ideal for us to be eaten up with worry. It's not his ideal that we live in anxiety. It's his ideal that we pray about things, leave it at his feet, trust him to work things out, and we know this, we worry still. And we miss. We sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have missed. All have missed and fallen short of the glory of God. It's just, it's just part of the human condition. There's no really comparison. We all miss. We all miss. So can we just level the playing field today? I have issues. You have issues. All God's children have issues. All right? I mean, we have issues. Look, so let's just do this. Take a deep breath. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have issues. You have issues. All right, now turn to your other neighbor and say, that, tell the truth, I have issues. I have issues. And all God's children said, amen. It's the truth. It's the truth. Down deep, we all know it. We all know that we're broken. We know that we're all in pieces, all of us. But we tend to keep brokenness to ourselves. Maybe we think nobody else struggles with what I struggle with. Maybe, maybe we think nobody cares. Maybe we don't want to share because of past wounds and past judgments. And we think we can glue our pieces back together all by ourselves. And you try and you try and here's the deal. You don't have the glue for your own pieces. You, you don't. I don't have the glue for my own pieces. But if I sit across a table with a cup of coffee and I share my brokenness with you, my brokenness becomes the glue for your pieces. And when you share your brokenness back with me, your brokenness becomes the glue for my pieces. So if I keep my brokenness from you, it's, it's kind of selfish. So when we just get honest and start talking about the way, this is what James was talking about, James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Confess, talk about, talk about sin, the way you miss. Talk about the way you miss. Talk about your struggles. Share it with each other and watch the healing happen. Watch the healing happen. But if you're going to come in here week after week and act like you have it all together, a, you're not fooling anybody. B, you're just going to stay stuck in the same old cycles. So can we talk about it this morning? Is this okay? All right. We talked about breaking out of generational consequences, and Pastor Chuck mentioned getting help. And what I want to dig, do is dig in right there. It's going to be very practical. Biblical, yes, but practical as well. He also mentioned something very, very key to the whole thing. He talked about our minds. He talked about our thinking. Guys, that is so key to this whole deal. So key, because we can be sorry or feel bad about a situation or a mess that we made, but unless we change our thinking, that's the definition of the biblical word repent, by the way. Metanoio, meta, to change, noyo, to think change your thinking 
to repent is to change our thinking, which leads, then leads to us making different decisions, and which, when different decisions come, it leads to a completely different life. When our thoughts change, everything changes. Everything changes. Unless we start thinking differently, we'll just wind up repeating the same scenario over and over and over. That's why the Bible says repent so many times. This is not self-help. This is Bible. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. As someone thinks within himself, so he is. Our thoughts form who we are. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And where might you guess those arguments and pretenses set themselves up? Right in your brain, right in your thinking. Be made new in the attitudes of your minds. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. It's everywhere in the Bible. The mind, your thinking, the brain. It's amazing. So Gwen and I have journeyed a ways. Uh, we've hit a few speed bumps along the way, but the 21st of this month will be 28 years. You're prettier than ever, baby. <laughs> 10 years ago, we weren't so sure that we were even gonna make it. But here we are, better than ever. It's awesome. So, so thank you. So what did, we, what did we do? What did we do? We went to work. We went to work. We got busy in the counselor's office. Don't look at me like that. You, you have issues too. Maybe you ought to go. It's awesome. Some people think that going to the counselor is, is for the weak people. Um, it's the hardest and most brilliant thing we've ever done. It literally changed our lives. It changed my life. If you've gone to counseling and gotten nothing out of it, it might be a reflection of what you put into it. Just a thought. Reminds me of the old joke. Uh, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Just one. But the light bulb really has to want to change. Yeah. So here's the way I try to explain my experience in counseling, okay? Um, we have this thing. We have this thing called life. It's hard, it's dense, it, it hurts sometimes, and, and, but we've got the Word of God that can pierce this thing called life straight through to victory. Amen? You guys with me? Here's what counseling gave me, the hammer. It gave me a tool by which to apply the Word to my life and see it work much better than it was before. So look, that's all it is, tools. So I wanna give you a couple of those tools. I hope to give you a hammer today. Is that cool? All right, good. So let's kind of break this down and, and walk this thing through a little bit. 
This is where it gets practical. Did you know that your thoughts drive your emotions? Did you know that? The next time you're in a funky emotional place, I want you to do something on purpose and with intentionality. I want you to ask yourself what thoughts are in your head. What are you thinking on? What are you dwelling on? If you're in a funky place, it probably won't be very good things you're thinking about. Thought always precedes emotion. Thought gives life and power to emotion, all right? Now, did you know that your emotions more often than not drive decisions? If you're in a, if you've made a good decision, it probably comes out of a good emotional place. If you make a poor decision, it probably you weren't feeling so great that day. One drives the other. And you probably already know this, to a great degree, your life is a product of the decisions you make. You with me? Right? What do we tell our kids all the time? Make good decisions. Make good decisions. We do anyway. And they roll their eyes and they, whatever they do. So let's review. Thought drives emotion. Emotion drives decisions. Decision produces reality in our lives. So our life begins with our thoughts. It all starts with our thoughts. Here's the thing about thoughts. We get to pick those. We get to pick those. I'm not talking about those really weird thoughts that run through your head and like, where did that thought come from? I'm not talking about those. An old preacher said, you can't control which birds fly overhead, but you can make sure they don't build a nest in your hair. Right? We get to choose the thoughts that we marinate in in our souls. We get to pick those. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Listen, some of the most deadly and toxic words are the words we tell ourselves. Those tapes that play in your head when you're all alone. Those, those things that repeat over and over and over. Toxic. Okay, I'm going to throw some science at you, okay? Don't be afraid. Greater is he, greater is he. Science isn't scary. Science is just the discovery of what God has already done. That's all that is. And more and more scientists are coming to conclusions. Oh, there has to be a creator. This can't be an accident. Science is good. So listen, our brains are incredibly complex, right? We can sift through billions of bits of data at any given time. And somehow, so we don't short circuit, we have to organize all that information. The reticular activating system helps with that. The reticular activating system, Google it, the reticular activating system is a bundle of nerves at your brain stem that filters out unnecessary information so the important stuff gets through. The reticular activating system is the reason you learn a new word and all of a sudden you begin hearing it everywhere. It's, it's the reason you can be in a crowd full of people talking and immediately snap to attention when someone says your name or something that at least sounds like it. The reticular activating system takes what you focus on and creates a filter for it. It then sifts through the data and presents only the pieces that are important to you. All this happens without us knowing. It's just, it just happens in our brains. Listen to this. This is amazing. The reticular activating system seeks information that validates your beliefs. It filters the world through the parameters which you give it. You with me? 
So your beliefs, the things we tell ourselves, the thoughts that we choose to think, shape those parameters. That's why Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, is anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Because in doing that, your brain will filter out the ugly and highlight the true and highlight the noble and highlight the right and the pure and the lovely, the admirable and the excellent and praiseworthy. And you're going to find yourself thanking God for all of his benefits and his goodness because you see it all around you. Because you decided to think about what is true, what is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Your brain is amazing. Are you guys tracking with me today? This is good. This is good. It's practical, but it's good. We don't have a hardware problem. We have a software problem. It's what we put in is the issue. Right? You with, you with me? Good. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Do you know why the Bible tells us to do that? Because you can. The Word doesn't tell us to do things we're not equipped to do. Nowhere in the Bible does it say jump off of two-story buildings and fly. Because we can't do that. We're not equipped for that. But the Bible says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We can do that. You can do that. I'm going to run through some ABCs for you. ABCs. Simple to remember. So listen, maybe, maybe there's something that just kind of keeps getting the best of you. Maybe there's an area that you've been battling, but it just keeps tripping you up. You feel bad, you put it to prayer, but, but here it is again. Repeat and repeat and repeat. More often than not, it's like, it's like leaves on a tree. You can pray against the leaves if you want to, but there's a root system giving life to those leaves. You with me? You got to go to the root. You got to find the root. In the same way, I've got another tool here as an illustration. You can take a giant sea clamp Ladies, this is a C-clamp. It's fixed many breaks. Um, and uh, I'm almost there. Give me a minute. <laughs> All right, you can take a giant C-clamp and put it on your head. It's, it's going to mess up my perfectly coiffed hair, by the way. And you can crank it down on your temples till it hurts. Gives you a headache. Now look, you can take an aspirin if you want. You can rebuke the spirit of headache all day long. <laughs> but look, until you take the stupid C-clamp off your head, it's going to hurt. No pill, no doctor, no rebuking. Go to the root. We ready to go to the root today, somebody? Awesome. So let's run through a typical process of how this kind of stuff works. This is Counseling 101, by the way. This is good stuff. This is for free. I won't bill you. It's awesome. It's just stuff we've learned in our journey. It's literally, it's changed the way I look at my life and it's changed the way I process things. It's changed my thinking. It's awesome. So the first 
is A. Activation. Activation. Something activates us. We're irritated. We react. Somebody says something or does something. Maybe a scenario presents itself that touches a button and we're triggered. They're all over the place. I was just talking to my my sister-in-law Friday, and we were talking about health insurance. Health insurance gives me, I have gotten saved more times over health insurance. I get triggered. There's just something. But we get triggered all day, all all the time. Because what? Because people are stupid. Because we drive on 285. And before you know it, out of hurt, pain, or frustration, we lash out. And a bad decision has been made. Right? That's the A. Now the B. We react in those ways because way down deep inside of us, there is a belief in us somewhere that justifies that behavior. Somewhere way down deep, it justifies that behavior. Because something has happened somewhere along the line, causes us to feel like that's okay. Maybe someone influential said something to you as a kid and it stuck. Maybe a coach said something to you and it went way down deep in your soul. And now you believe bad things about yourself. Maybe you had poor models growing up and you watch this cycle and, and, and believe that this is just what moms and dads and people do. So may, maybe you've made an inner covenant. Maybe you have said nobody will ever again fill in the blank. So now there's a belief in you that makes whatever the behavior is okay. So we've activated we behave those ways because we believe something. And then there's always to see the consequence. After having been activated and then reacting, there's always the see, the consequence. People are hurt. Things are said that we regret. Money is spent to try to make us feel better. We've binged on food, porn, whatever, and now we feel defeated. And on and on and on. After the C comes the D. Diffuse. The idea here is before we are triggered the next time, let's look at the pattern of our behavior and ask the question, what am I believing that causes me to think that me behaving this way is okay? Ask yourself the question. What am I believing? If we can identify that belief, which usually is centered around something that is not true, then we can diffuse the cycle of hurt and pain and bad consequences by speaking truth to ourselves. See, we replace the lie with the truth. We choose our thought. We make it obedient to Christ. Example one, typical example of how this might work. There's a couple of examples. Here's the first one. Does does pornography sometimes just seem to get the best of you? And look, quick aside, I'm not picking on the guys here because studies show that women, you know, are, are challenged in this area as well. So is this an equal opportunity example? You're welcome. It gets really quiet when you talk about this stuff. <laughs> what am I believing that makes viewing pornography okay? Belief. This has nothing to do with my spouse. The truth. This has everything to do with your spouse because the word says that you and he or she are one 
1 Corinthians 7, 4 says that the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Your body's not your own. Your body belongs to your spouse. Diffuse. Belief. This will not affect my marriage. Truth. This will devastate the intimacy in your marriage. You cannot have secrets and intimacy. You get to pick one, so choose. Belief, this is harmless. Truth, this will destroy you. This will destroy your marriage. Given enough, enough exposure, this will destroy your ability to perform normal sexually. It will kill you. Belief, at least I'm not having an affair. Truth. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or a man lustfully has already committed adultery with him or her in his or her heart. Replace the lie with the truth. It's, it's simple. I didn't say it's easy. It's simple. You just got to go to the root of it, right? Example two. It may be that you're single or divorced, it may be that you've been hurt in past relationships. You seem to get a certain, you seem to get to a certain point in, in relationships now. And you're not sure why, but there's something there that is triggered. And you find yourself just pushing people away. Perhaps you've made an inner covenant and said to yourself, no one will ever again fill in the blank. I will never put myself in a position of vulnerability again. And now you get close to vulnerability and you push it away because you made an inner vow. Look, look, look at me. We all make those inner vows. Okay? We make them to protect ourselves. Right? I, I, listen, I get it. I, I've walked, I, I know what divorce is. I've walked that through. In a former life, 35 years ago. I don't have time, but I understand what it is. I get it. I understand the pain and fear of opening up again. I, I get that. But, but hear me, listen, look at me. As long as we have these inner covenants at play, you are the Lord of that area of your life, and Jesus is not. No man will ever leave me broke. You just became the Lord of your finances, not Jesus. So the belief there is, I can't trust Jesus with this. Truth. His word says he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The, the word leave implies physically. His presence will be with you. The word forsake means emotionally. He will never, ever, one day of your life, emotionally abandon you. That's our good God. That's our good Father. Replace the lie with the truth. He has promised to be with you physically and emotionally. Break those inner vows. Turn that part of your life back over to Jesus. He can be trusted. Amen? I want you to leave with uh, one more tool for your toolbox. We have the ABCs. I'm going to give you an acronym. At the point of activation, when we get triggered, usually one of four things going on. We're hungry, we're angry, 
We're lonely or we're tired or a combination of the four. You ever get hangry? Combination of hungry and angry? I get angry because I'm hungry. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Acronym is HALT. HALT. So if you're feeling triggered or activated, take a breath and HALT. Stop everything. Stop. Whatever it is you're doing, stop. Do something practical. Are you hungry? Get something to eat. Mark, are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. Esau sold his birthright over a bowl of soup because he was hungry. I'm serious. Get a Snickers. The commercial is right, it's true. Look, I wonder how different history would have played out if Esau hadn't done that. You ever think about that? Because he was hungry. Yes, I'm serious. Are you angry? Stop everything. Take a run. Go to the gym. Grab a pillow and holler into it. Do something. Numbers 20. God tells Moses to speak to the rock and water will come from it. But Moses was angry and struck the rock. Water came out of it. But because of his actions and his anger, he was not allowed to enter the promised land because he was angry. Ephesians 4, 26, 27. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun set on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. What does that mean? Today's anger is, is okay. Jesus was angry, right? He didn't sin, but he was angry. Look, if you're angry, deal with it. Flush it. Forgive who you need to forgive. I think last week you said, look, just wake up saying, I'm going to have to forgive somebody. Just wake up with an attitude of forgiveness, right? Just, just let that go. Look, let it go. Feel it. Process it. Let it pass. Let it go. Because here's what happens. When you go to bed angry, and you know what I'm talking about, you, you start mulling stuff over in your brain. Well, I'll tell you what, next time I'll see that jugger. Well, now, I should have said this. Next time I'll see him, I'm going to say this. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one with tapes in my head? We do that. We go to bed angry, and that happens. We, we wake up. We've been counseled by the devil, and we don't even know it. And now he has a foothold. Don't let the sun go down. My dad said that he and mom never went to bed angry. One year they didn't sleep for seven months, but they never. <laughs> I think I remember that year, actually. Well, I'm teasing, teasing. Lonely. Are you feeling lonely? Call someone. Reach out to a friend. In this day of technology and social media, there is no good reason why somebody you don't, why somebody you know isn't up in the middle of the night Facebooking. People are always on that thing. Reach out to somebody. Diffuse that thing. If you're lonely, stop. Halt. Reach out to somebody. Don't be alone. Second Samuel 11 says, In the spring, 
at the time when kings went out to war. David, for some reason, stayed, stayed back in the palace alone and noticed a woman named Bathsheba. Enough said. Lonely. Are you tired? Get some rest. Take care of yourself. Sabbath is in the Bible because it's a real good idea. We need rest. We need to take care of ourselves through our diets, through our exercises, whatever it is that we do. We just need to take care of ourselves. The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. You can flip that around and say you can only take care of your neighbors to the extent to which you take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. You'll be a better neighbor. You'll be able to take care of people. Tired. I thought of Samson here in Judges 16. Samson was a Nazarite with superhuman strength. The things he did in battle are legendary, right? But he's most famous for giving the secret of his strength to a lady named Delilah who he would often visit. <laughs> most sermons about Samson have to do with lust. And I'm not going to say he didn't have a lust issue, and I'm not going to say he could have done better to build some guardrails in his life. But Samson was a judge of Israel. Do you, do you know what biblical judges did? Biblical judges, they were a ruler, they were a military leader, they presided over legal hearings. They were a ruler, they were a military leader, and they presided over legal hearings. That makes me tired just to say it. That's a lot. Listen, Pastor Chuck and I have been friends for over 30 years, uh, and I, I get an up-close personal look at what it takes to lead people in about the number of 300. And it's exhausting. Um, just an aside, the next time you want to talk about him, why don't you pray for him instead? Right? Leading is, is exhausting. It's, it's hard. So you can imagine the pressure and stress of light leading entire nation, ruling, fighting, presiding over legal matters. I mean, come on. Samson, I don't think Samson had so much of a lust issue. He had a tired issue. Dude was exhausted. And because he was exhausted, he didn't put parameters and, and accountability around himself. And, and he, and he was, became susceptible to what he fell to. So those are the ABCs and the HALTs. I told you this was going to be practical. I hope it was helpful to you. Um, if you take these, apply these things to your life, um, it, it'll cause you to think different. It'll cause you to act different. It'll cause you to have different results in the decisions that you make. Um, you back there, brother? All right. Um, thanks again, Chuck, for, for trusting me with this, with this spot. Can we pray? Father, we, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you today for what you've done. 
God, we thank you for the cross. Thank you, God, that in you, it all works. That Thank you, God, that, that you can be trusted, that, that we don't have to do this alone. We don't have to try to figure this out. We can lean into you, lean into who you are. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We prayed last night over each and every one of these seats, and we thank God for his mercy that is new every morning. It's new every morning because we need it every morning. So God, for all the ways in which we have failed you, for all the ways in which we are less than stellar in our walks with you, thank you, God, for your forgiveness as we reach out to you and, and cry out to you. And I pray that some of the things that you've taught myself and Gwen and, and that you, I feel you prompted me to share this morning, I pray that these things, these points are applicable and people grab a hold of these things and it's just not another Sunday sermon. But I pray that it's helpful. And, and you may, you know, be at a place where you just want to pray with somebody. We got some uh, small group leaders, some staff members. If you guys want to come on up front here um, and just receive some folks who may want to pray. Uh, and we're just going to kind of close quietly. Um, we're not going to sing real loud, but we're going to sing the chorus of Cornerstone. And um, so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just continue to speak to hearts and that you would illuminate places in our lives, God, that we have not surrendered to you and that you would show us things that we're, that we're believing that are alive right now by the power of the Spirit. God, illuminate those places in us. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts through. So cut through right now, Holy Spirit. Separate, separate intents and, and thoughts and all those things, God, and show us areas, God, that we, that we need to surrender to you.